All right, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? All right, so as you can see, we're doing things a little bit differently this morning. I got Steve Shoemaker here. He is our newest elder. Let's give him a round of applause, everybody. Yeah. So if you didn't know, he actually does make shoes for a living. He does. No. He, I, yeah, okay. Nobody thought well, that was funny. Man. I told you that's not the first time that's I know, it's so obvious, you know, I'm just, okay. <laughs> anyway, so we're continuing this. This is just a quick two-part series, and this is week two of it. We've called it, You Think You Know. And the whole idea of this mini-series is to get past our assumptions when it comes to the Bible, right? Because so often, I don't know, I mentioned this last week, but if you can relate with me a little bit, sometimes when we come to the Bible, especially if it's a story that we know, or a passage of scripture that we've heard a lot, I, I find myself coming to it and like, oh yeah, I know that. And just thinking that I already know. And then I don't open myself up to what God wants to say to me. So this is the whole onus of this series, is to get into that. Last week, if you missed last week, I'd really encourage you to go check it out and uh, listen through. We, we kind of blitzed through a bunch of examples of ways you can go deeper into your own personal Bible study as you read and as you approach scripture to get more out of it. And then this morning, uh, we're just going to have a conversation, but we're going to get into one of the biggest, um, most common biblical stories that you may think you know. And we're going to use it uh, to, to, again, model some of these things. But first, I want to introduce you guys to Steve and get you to know him a little bit because he is our newest elder, which is no small undertaking. So we're really excited to have him on the board, on the team. Um, but yeah, because of COVID, this has been a really weird year, right? You would agree with that maybe? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, really weird year, and many of you might not even know Steve very well. So, I want to give us an opportunity just to get to know him a little bit. So, uh, I got a picture of him and his family up here. Those are his kids, right? Those are your kids. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't met them all, so. They're all married. All married. <laughs> As of a couple weeks ago, so we're happy. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. All right, so, Steve, would you just tell us a little bit about who you are, um, you and your wife, Susie? Just tell us a little about who you are. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, yeah, so my wife and I, we've been married about 30 years now, and, um, but originally I grew up in Japan. My parents were missionaries there, really enjoyed that, spent about, uh, it used to be that uh, there were things called terms, like four-year terms, uh, and so my parents served over there for two and a half terms, and so roughly my years growing up uh, was in Japan, and then my wife grew up in pretty much uh, rural Pennsylvania, New Hampshire. Uh, and she has so many stories, I don't know how many to bring them up, but uh, sometime you need to pin her, pin her down and get her to talk about her very, very interesting, interesting upbringing, but uh, including the cult that she was a part of. So, <laughs> so you're outed already. So, okay. <laughs> so, uh, grew up on the mission field, and then because of various circumstances, actually some of you might remember this, but Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard, and... Uh, and it had huge implications for missionaries who were, because of the exchange and the value of the dollar. And so, for example, when my parents went to Japan, uh, the dollars were 360 yen. When Nixon took us off the gold standard, that went from 360 to about 120 in about six months. So if you can imagine that your income decreases by two-thirds within six months, you're going to have to make some decisions. So my parents came back uh, and did church planning in the United States. Um, and when I came back, I had a youth pastor that kind of just uh, put me on fire. And by the time I was a junior and senior, uh, I was basically functioned as the youth pastor for my dad at the church plant and thought I was going to go to the ministry. 
went up to Bible college, uh, just really poured my life in studying the Bible. Ended up going to Israel for a year, studied there, and uh, for various reasons, I decided I really wanted to go to the secular university. I wanted to be a light. I felt that my particular denomination was a little, you know, too inward looking. And so I ended up studying political philosophy and one thing led to another. And uh, I've been teaching that for about 15, 20 years. But in the process, my whole view of the Bible has, has changed. And maybe at some point we can talk further. We'll get to that but, in a second. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so funny, in this process, you know, I mean, men, you know, your wives know you better than you know yourself, right? And they often have a different perspective of you. So I, I specifically asked Susie to get some dirt on you. Just Here's the problem, though. I asked for some dirt, and this is what she sent. Like, is that the worst you could find of this guy? Like, you know, the only thing I can think of is Time maybe, has been really rough on me. Yeah. We'll just put it that way. Time's rough on a lot of people. I, I wouldn't say that about you. But, you know, I saw this picture, and my first thought was, like, is he going to come for my job one of these days? You know, do you want this, this is actually in Israel. This is it. If it's been to Israel, there's Caesarea by the sea there, and then you got the amphitheater. And so I got a chance to... Do some, uh, I, I don't have the guitar skills you have, but I did like a little chorus <laughs> thing there. So it was fun. Yeah, so I was going to have you lead worship next week. You no, that? no. No? Oh, I will not be back next week. Okay. <laughs> it's been good. In a scary way. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, uh, the only other thing she told me is that he, up until they got married, Steve was a closeted Steelers fan. I was. <laughs> she didn't know until they got married. He kept that from her. Look, at, we were on so, a roll here, and you just... <laughs> <laughs> just saying, man. You're in Broncos country here, okay? I so. The thing is, I, don't, I, I, I think the Broncos are a classy bunch. You're not like the Cowboys or some of these other teams, so... Ooh, any Cowboys fans? I know Pope's a Cowboys fan. I don't know if he's listening. <laughs> All right, cool. Anyway, so yeah. Um, specifically, in, in terms of this, this series, you know, I did want to ask Steve, you know, um, mm-hmm. being an elder and being someone who's gone before many of us, in, in your faith journey, too. Just describe a little bit to us what the Bible has been to you. Mm. What role has it played in your life, and how have you approached it differently throughout your life? Yeah. In some ways, it's, 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 a, it's a kind of a circle. Um, I, here at uh, Rock Creek Church, we want to have a high view of the Scriptures, and I think we deliver that. I think our pastors deliver that, um, and I think our people are committed to that, and and that's so key, and I think part of the heritage of my parents is that they gave me a high view of the scriptures. Uh, and, but I was like, you know, I was like most other uh, boys. Back then, you could be a boy. I don't know if you can notice now, but nowadays, boys are kind of defective girls. That's the way kind of the schools treat them. But back then, you could be a boy, and uh, so I was very competitive. I remember going to church. Some of the first uh, memories I have of the Bible is that we have these, uh, these uh, sword drills, Right, and so you get these rambunctious fourth graders and third graders, fifth graders, and they're plenty trying to find a passage, you know, that was uh, that was uh, called out. And I love that, and uh, you know, I was part of the church growing up. But then something really kind of happened to me when I turned about thirteen, actually about twelve. All of a sudden, my brain kicked in. I used to be just a complete gym rat, sports, 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 sports. That's all I really cared about. Competition especially beating my younger brother, Dave. He was like a year younger, so I made sure that I put him in his place as much as I could, <laughs> which didn't work very long. But, uh, um, but all of a sudden, I just had an insatiable, insatiable thirst for the scriptures. Uh, and 
essentially just spent most of my time, you know, if I weren't at school and I, I wasn't um, um, playing sports, I just really poured into the scriptures. And, uh, and I think, you know, I don't know exactly why God gave me that, um, but it's uh, basically led me to say, I want to teach the scriptures someday. I want to go into ministry. I thought I was going to be a pastor. Uh, and then I thought, well, I like teaching more than trying to work through the real difficulties of being a pastor. So I thought I'd teach in seminary. You mean you didn't want to deal with people? <laughs> I know. It's true. I had a lot of growing up to do. A lot of growing up to do. I did. I did. So, uh, and then, so I came to this, you know, I'm just very committed to the scriptures, uh, and really, but then I was exposed to some philosophy during college, and it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but it changed my outlook, so that I began to look at the Bible as merely a, uh, a book that gave you the path to God, a book that was there primarily for spiritual purposes, was primarily for ethical purposes, and it was like it shines this path from you to God. But then I thought, well, but the, the rest of the world, all this landscape, the Bible really doesn't have a lot to say about that. And so all these other things that I read, uh, you know, I got into whole kinds of political philosophy, classical, modern, all this kind of stuff. Um, it's great stuff, really, really interesting stuff. It's hard, but it's interesting stuff. But I kind of patched everything together by saying the Bible gives me the path and then I use all of this other stuff to explain the rest of the world to me. And so this was going to be my goal to go into the secular university and teach the landscape as a transition to show connection points to the path and so forth. And uh, God just never had that for me. Um, there was the one school that I attended that I thought was too closed in and closed minded and there was one place in the world that I didn't want to teach. You know, so you know how this goes, right? So it was the one place in the world I didn't want to go. And so God just put me there. So I ended up teaching there. And then ended up finding out that it was a very different place than I thought. And uh, taught there for about 15 years. And in the process of really coming to wrestle with all of this kind of extra philosophic stuff, it, it gave me kind of a fresh lens so that when I went back, and it was all related to politics, right? So... That's what I'm studying. And then when I came back at one point, I looked at the Bible, and all of a sudden, it just came alive. I saw how much that the Bible talked about the landscape. It's not just this path. It, like, it understands the world. Uh, and so that just really got me fired up again. And this would be about, I would say, about five years ago. And then I started just diving back into the Scripture, especially the Old Testament, because, you know, if you think about it, God goes into politics in the Old Testament, right? He becomes the king of a nation, and he has to give this nation information that allows them to function as a people over centuries. They have a judicial system. You got to have courts. You got to have all these things. And so when you start to see all the wisdom that is there, which Moses says in Deuteronomy 5, you can see it. Then it's just complete. I just, okay, so I had a high view of scriptures, but I thought, well, it's just a path. And then I realized Okay, we got to go back to having a seriously high view of Scripture. And this is worth a lifetime of study. That's too yeah. much, I'm sorry. But no, that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> I and mean, that gives us a window, right? Because I think mm -hmm. for many of us, that's, that's a pressure that we feel often is to fit the Bible like we often do with God and other aspects. We try to fit the Bible into like a small category that's neat, mm -hmm. it's neat and tidy. We can make sense of it. 
right? But anytime we try to shove down the Bible into some other subcategory, we, we miss the point, and we, realize, and we don't realize how big God's word really is. I mean, it's a reflection of God himself. So, yeah, yep. absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. Well, um, <clears throat> hopefully we've created enough suspense for you to know what this major story is. Are you guys ready for this biblical story? The word's okay. probably out. They already huh? The word's probably leaked out somewhere. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so the big Bible story that we're going to tackle today that you think you know is the story of David and Goliath. Anybody guess that one? Anybody expect that one? No? Yeah, maybe. Oh, good. Anybody good. surprised? Anybody like, great, I already know that one. That's the point. This is for you. Okay. Good. Okay. So if you don't know where this is in the Bible, it's in 1 Samuel 17. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there just so you can reference as we talk through this. It's in 1 Samuel 17. And the story of David and Goliath has been told, I don't know how many times and how many different ways. I mean, obviously, I think, I think about Sunday school. Um, since I got two young kids, and like thinking how many times they've heard the story and it's in their children's Bibles. And so, it, I mean... It is a really well-known story, even for people that haven't spent much or any time in the church. So this is going to be our major case study today, and we're going to go through it a handful of times. And really just try to give you a glimpse, again, of when you think you know something, there is still more there when it comes to God's Word. God's Word is alive. It's active. The more you get into it, the more you realize it, it's not just about information. It shapes you. It molds you. It helps shape your life and how you live and how you understand God in the world. Right? Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, Steve, before we jump in, when you come to the Bible, and we'll get into how this all plays out in David and Goliath, but when you approach the Bible, what's your approach? Like, how, when you want to come study it or read it for yourself, what are the keys for you? Yeah, wow, that's a small question. <laughs> right? uh, but this is actually one of the main things that we want uh, as a takeaway is, um, do, you, do we have a strategy like a workable strategy that allows us to anchor ourselves in the scriptures, but also allow us to kind of push further and deeper and so forth. So in general, um, and we'll kind of look at the David and Goliath story from this uh, perspective, but I like to think of it in just real quickly in three levels. And the first one is that you just go look for that which you know is true. We, if you've been in church for a long time and you've been sitting under the teaching of great pastors like here, then we, have, we probably already know too much and we need to be able to rely on that. We need to be grateful for it. We need to hone in on the passage and we know and we need to anchor and strengthen our hearts in the things that we know. And that's the first thing we go for. Uh, and, and related to that though, then the key is to go deeper in that truth, we need, to, um, we need to use that truth as a way to invite God to meet us in the day. Right? And we'll talk about this later uh, when we get into the specifics. But that's the first thing I do is just go in, okay, what is the bedrock core truth that's here? And I can immediately build my heart and feed my heart on that truth. And then the second thing is then to go deeper, and we're going to talk about this as we go in with the, um, uh, with the David Glass story, and that is the, the key to going deeper is after you've kind of anchored yourself in what you know to be true, then you've got to pretend that you've never read it before. Like, if you were to hand the Bible, this passage, to someone who doesn't know God, maybe a contemporary at work, 
and try to read the Bible the way, you know, all of a sudden, you get all kinds of weird details, right? The key to go deeper is that you, you start to see details, and you start to question those details. So once you fed your heart, then you kind of let your mind explore, right? And then the third thing that we'll see, especially here in this David Goliath story, is that all this comes back to Christ, right? So at the end of the day, you may have, like, some special area in your life you need to work on and you're anchoring your your life in that truth and then you're exploring and learning some really interesting stuff but at the, at the end of the day when you've well at the end of the time you've worked on that passage you got to just come back to christ right how does this relate to your personal relationship with him right so if you just work in that it's a rough it's a rough outline but it's, i think it's a workable strategy yeah great thanks so if i can summarize that <clears throat> three things mm -hmm. look for the main point mm -hmm. what do you know to be true then start looking for the details, read it as if you've never read it before, yep. and then find out where it connects to Christ and the yep. rest of Scripture. Yep. So if you're taking notes, this is great, great stuff. Write notes. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, main point, details, connection. So let's get into this first one, this first level of reading this story or a passage for the main point. All right? So when it comes to David and Goliath, um, you, you said this yourself, sometimes we know too much already, right? <laughs> I've heard it said. We do. I've heard it said before that the American church at large, not every individual, but at large, we are more educated, we are far more educated than our level of obedience. And that's something that's stuck with me for a long time is, you know, often when you really boil it down, we know a lot. And putting it in action and actually applying it to our lives is a huge deal. But let's start with this level with David and Goliath, right? So before we get into this, um, if you could just give us like a quick 30-second summary mm -hmm. of the David and Goliath story, mm -hmm. and then we'll look for the main point. Yeah. Yeah, so here's the thing, right? We know the David and Goliath story. Let's not kid ourselves. We know it, right? If you've been around in the church at any length of time. And so um, and we don't want to discount that, right? Because when we come to the Bible and you come up with a new, trans, a new understanding of Christianity after 2,000 years, you're probably wrong, right? So you want to stick to what we already know. And so with the David and Goliath story, right, we know, okay, it kind of divides, I guess, into four or five parts. It begins with the setup, this tension where it's a battle scene, and they're at this impasse, right? And this is where you get the description of Goliath, and he's taunting the armies of the uh, Israelites, and he says, look it, hey, let's go mano a mano, send out your champion, right? So we know that part. And then there's this extended, like, interaction between David and his father and his brothers, right? And that's in there, too. And then um, there's this interaction between David and Saul, right? And Saul says, use my armor. David goes, well, I'm not really practiced at it. And then the next scene is David and Goliath. David gets him. And then the final scene is the aftermath, right? And the Israelites go out. They yell and scream, right? Like charge. And they all take, and they just slaughter the Philistines all the way down to Gath, Ekron and Gath, right? And so, and there's a little bit of aftermath there with David and Saul. So, yeah, that's the basic story. Cool. Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so we've heard this so many times, right? And, and uh, it's an interesting story, for sure. Mm. We believe it's history. We believe this really happened. But there's also a reason that it's told in a specific way, and that it's in the Bible for a purpose. So this is our first round table. Uh, we've been doing this recently. So if you want to turn into your tables and have a conversation, we're going to give you a question. If you're watching online, the chat is your round table. So we want to ask you this question. Take a couple minutes to answer it. But what would you say is the main point? You know, if you think back to what you know about the David and Goliath story, what would you say is the main point? What is the reason that this story is told? 
and then how do we apply that to our lives? So go ahead and, and talk amongst yourselves. And think also about which verses you, you kind of naturally hone in on, right? So the big, these are the verses that tell me what the big point is. Yeah. Right? Awesome. Yep. So go ahead and talk amongst yourselves. That's a lot of verses. Do you have a bottle of water? So, I'm sure you have something. Anybody want to be brave and speak up? What, what would you say is the main point of David and Goliath, this story? Trust. trust. Trusting the Lord. If you trust the Lord, you can overcome any obstacle. Good. What else? Yeah, Mark. Superhero origin story. Superhero <laughs> origin story. How David came to be. Yeah, good. What else? Yeah, Karen. Don't throw rocks. <laughs> Don't? Why not? What if it's the bad guy that gets hurt, though? It seems like, it seems like they're happy about it. Any? Yeah, Brian. We have someone online that says, God qualifies the call. God qualifies the call is an online response. Awesome. Great. Okay. Well, let's boil this down. You know, I think all those are true to an extent, but Steve, you know, as you approach the story, what would you say is the main point and where do we find that in this story? Yeah, probably where you went to, uh, if, if you had time, I mean, that's a lot of verses, but what you do is you'd probably go into the most exciting part of the story. It naturally draws you to the whole conflict. And then you look at the way David talks about what's going on there, right? And so if you look at the, what is it, verses... Uh, 45, right? 45, 46, 47. I mean, these verses just, they, they want your attention. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down, remove your head from, he knows how to do a slap down. <laughs> I will remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will deliver you into our hands. Right? Just jumps out at you. Yeah, great. So those verses seem pretty key, and it's, it's essentially that, that 
underdog story, right? Here's someone who has no business slaying a giant, and God empowers him to slay a giant to give glory to his name and give his, yep. his people victory, yep. right? Yeah, so how do I, I mean, and again, like you said this earlier, you know, we want to go to the main point, but then we also want to apply it to our lives. So what would you right. say is like baseline, how do we apply this to our daily lives? Hmm? Yeah, I was thinking if you, I were to distill, you know, what's in those verses, it's the idea that God will give his unlikely hero victory so that the world will know that he exists and that so the assembly will know that the battle is the Lord's, right? So I was just thinking about this, actually, because we've been working on this for three, four weeks and so, trying to apply this to my own life. And part of, part of I think, what's really interesting and important, um, but often overlooked, is a lot of times we want God to meet us while we're reading the scriptures, right? God meet us while we're reading the scriptures. And so when we read a passage, if we don't feel like God's meeting us, then we feel like, why am I doing this? But I think sometimes, well, I personally think you need to combine that desire for God to meet us while we're reading the scriptures, turn it around, and ask God as you try to obey him to meet you during the day, right? And so I would say this, this is what I did in my own life. I woke up in the morning, I did my devotions, anchored my heart in this truth, and said, I need to be more courageous, right? This is... And this is actually, you know, this isn't metaphorical. If David messes up here, he's dead. That's, that's pretty intense stuff. He, so there's trusting God, and then there's trusting God. Um, but I think a, a simple application would be, like, how courageous am I for God and his people and his glory, right? How courageous am I? And if you just sit back in the morning and ask God to tell you, to show you some area of your life where you need to be more courageous? Well, trust me, he will, right? It's like a nanosecond, and you're like, okay, tell me something else. Right? I need another area a little easier to work on. So, um, but this is what I did. I just prayed, God, meet me sometime in this day by giving me an opportunity to be more courageous. And it happened. Yeah. It happened. <laughs> it, ha it happened. Cool. So, and I can't get into all the details to protect the innocent and guilty, but I had a conflict with someone. Uh, not my family, it's another world. I never have a conflict with my wife. She's always right, so that takes care of that problem. <laughs> so, um, but I, I couldn't understand why this person was so passive aggressive. And you, I'm, I'm pretty laid back, and so I'd like to just, okay, if I don't have to have the conflict, then I'll just let it pass. But this was really bad. And so I was like fuming about it, went home, and I was like, okay, wow, here we go. I need to just kind of step it up address this person directly, address it well, and see what happens, but it's like, I got to do this. Well, I asked for this, and God provided it. I got to walk through this door. And so it all went really well, but the idea that if you want God to meet you, meet, ask him to meet you during the day, and not just when you're, trying, when you're reading the scriptures. So it's completely different. Yeah, that's really good. Well, and how many of us in this room know that conflict, addressing conflict is scary? Right? Anybody else it with is. me? Right? Who of you avoid conflict like the plague? We've got our conflict avoiders, right? So that's scary. That's, a, that's an instance where we, where we need to have courage, right? Yeah. I think the other thing for me, you know, as I see this is specifically in the passage you read, too, it's like it's about God's glory. It's about his mission, his kingdom, right? And so sometimes I think we have to remember, like, God wants us to be courageous for him. It's not just to be courageous for the sake of being courageous, right? We shouldn't just be going out trying to find the next giant to slay. You know, it's something we've talked about, right? But, yeah. but it's what is God calling us to 
and to be courageous for him in this day, whether that's speaking up or sharing the gospel or, you know, being kind to someone who is really hard to be loving to. Mm -hmm. um, but that's something that always sticks out to me, too, is like this is for this is for God's glory, not our own. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Cool. So this does seem relatively basic, right? Um, something that, that many of us are probably at this point nodding along and be like, yeah, okay, you know, I get it. But I want to move into the second level, right? Getting into the de details, right? So that's a great starting point. But I think there's something, well, something that we want to get into is that sometimes that application piece and what this passage might mean for us in any given day is illuminated differently when we discover some of the details because we get to see ourselves in the story a little bit more or we understand a, a deeper perspective of this story. So... Moving on to the second strategy of trying to find the details and read it in such a way that we're approaching it almost as if we've never read it before. Um, so, so talk about that. When you come to the David and Goliath story, what does that look like for you? Um, how do you notice details with fresh eyes? Yeah, if you can pretend, and it's kind of fun to do it, but if you can pretend that there is someone, well, if you can pretend that you're looking at the story from the eyes of someone that you know is so far from God, Okay, the details will jump out at you. You'll be like, what's that doing there? <laughs> and why is that happening here? And so forth. But um, so that's, that's a kind of a disciplined way to distance yourself and, and try to look for a fresh perspective. But in general, th see, this is the tough thing, though, too. Um, we, you need to understand a little bit. We need to understand a little bit about uh, Hebrew or Old Testament narrative. It's, it's a very specific kind of way to write that's unique, and it's actually, it looks very, very simplistic, but it's actually very, very sophisticated, um, and so it's deceptively simple, and this is what I mean by that. These stories don't seem to have a lot of details, right? Think even about the crucifixion. This is the most important event in all of history. There are very few details that are provided and this is very much true of the whole Hebrew way of, 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 of giving stories, is that it's absolutely minimalistic. Right? They don't talk about the landscape and so forth. So what's the point here? The point is, this is all very deliberate. It's part of their culture. And what they do is this. They tell stories with as few words as possible, but that everything that's in there matters. So if you find a detail that's weird, that's the author's way of saying listen up, there's something weird here that you're supposed to pay attention to. So if you don't believe that that's the case, that everything there belongs there, deliberately belongs there, it's part of the storytelling, then you look at these details and you're like, I don't know what's going on, this is kind of crazy. But if you know that all those details really matter, then you have a reason to think and meditate on that story to try to figure out whether this detail that's weird fits in with that detail that's weird Fits in with this, and if you can begin to bring all these points together, it's like the story really deepens. And so there's a it's it's if if you believe that it's there to be discovered, then you have a reason and a motivation to pursue it. And then when you see it, it's delightful. Yeah. It's truly delightful. Well, because the Bible's weird. It's weird. It's very weird. It's weird. <laughs> it's right? very weird. It's okay to to come to the Bible and be like, this is weird. I mean, I don't know, I think of, I, I've had the temptation because I'm like, oh, I'm a Christian, right? I follow Jesus. So when I read the, the Bible, sometimes I've had the temptation over my faith journey of, well, this shouldn't be weird. I should just accept this as if it's normal because it's God's word, right? right. But it's okay to, to notice something like, that sounds really weird and flag it and be like, well, why? 
why is it there? <laughs> yep. So can you give, it, give us a, an example of something that you, you notice as you read that, that could raise a question? Okay. Well, real quick here, because then we want to turn you guys loose to be able to look at that story, think about it in terms of different things that jump out at you. But it doesn't necessarily have to always be weird. When I go into the passage, I look for things that are unique, things... Uh, I, I want to ask the question all the time, do I really know why that has to be in the story? And if I don't know why it really has to be or should be or why it benefits the story, then I know I have something to go after. All right? But then the range goes from, can I just explain why that should be there, to that's weird. Okay? And the, and the David and Goliath story has the whole range there. So one, one thing that's, um, that jumps out to me as I, re, as I read this is, if this is about David and Goliath, why is there this lengthy, the longest portion of that story is about David and his father and David and his brothers, especially Eliab, right? You're like, why does the story need that much attention on those relationships? And if you're like, I don't know, good. Now you have something. You reread the story to try to figure out whether you can make sense of that. Now, um, one thing that uh, kind of the one path that I think we want to go down here is the idea of, okay, can we look at the details and, and get a better sense of the kind of person David is, right? So one possibility is the possibility that his older brother brings, and he, nat he, he criticizes David, right? Eliab criticized David. And so the story already naturally gives you the opportunity to ask the question, is Eliab right? We've and got a slide for this. Let's read this real quick. Okay, good. So... Coming right out of this, 1 Samuel 17, verse 28 through 29, this gives us a, again, this is some of the details that we can notice. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard him when David spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, why is it that you've come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I myself know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing, and the people replied with the same words as before. So there's some other context going on there. But, yeah, we see Eliab, he's got a lot of anger toward his brother, and th these are some pretty serious accusations. Yeah. So, like, yeah, what does this tell us about David? Yeah, so, so Eliab says, look it, you're a young punk. That's what you are. And what you really like is, uh, you know, Avenger movies. Right? <laughs> you want to come in there, you want to go to the battle, you want to see. And you're, you, you're supposed to be at home doing like the little stuff with the sheep and we know what you're about is that you're not really doing what you're supposed to do you're you're a wicked uh young punk who just likes conflict right so the text gives you the opportunity to say is Eliab right right and you just ask that simple question and when you reread it you find truckloads of evidence that Eliab is completely wrong okay just to spoil 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 just to spoil the whole thing. But, but when you reread it, all of a sudden you'll see all of the stuff that shows you the kind of extraordinary person David is. But you never really saw it before because you're, high, you're thinking about, oh, David, Goliath, the battle, all this stuff. And it's the subtle details that show you that David is an extraordinary individual. And in fact, if you were to read in the previous chapter, there's this unnamed servant of Saul that gives David the highest praises. He says he's a man of valor, he's a warrior, but he's also a musician, and he knows how to talk. He's skillful in speech, 
he's prudent, and then the Lord is with him. And that gives you a second grid, right? Then if you try to read through the story, you can look for those things. And sure enough, the guy's dead on. He's right. David is an extraordinary individual. He's not just out there, um, he's not just out there looking for giants to, to slay. In fact, he's very reticent. It's, if you look at the story, he's very slow to act on this stuff, right? And that shows you, okay, something else is going on. Awesome. Yep. Cool, yeah, so there's a great example of if you slow down and, and read it in a new way with fresh eyes, you can notice, I'm like, hey, why is there so much about David's family going on here? This is here for a reason. Mm-hmm. Let's dig into it. And then you can ask more questions that will get you to more answers. Yeah, so yep. let's practice this a little bit. Um, if you guys have your Bibles again, First Samuel 17. You can skim it. I know we don't have a ton of time, but you can skim it, read through. Uh, with your table, round table number two, look for like three details, three things that stick out to you in the story that you, you might not have recognized before. So go ahead and talk amongst yourselves. All right. What details do you notice? What sticks out to you? Could be the weirdest things. It could be some mundane things. But what do you notice, Ethan? Oh, there's something interesting. So if you didn't hear that, he said that Goliath is described with the same language as the Nephilim in an earlier older Old Testament story. That's an interesting. Yeah. Yep. That's a very interesting connection. What else did you notice? Yeah, Ed. Yeah, good. Yeah, so I just said that David is just sent there. He's not, he's not a part of the war. He's not in the battlefield to start. He's just sent there by his dad, 
And then he starts asking questions and poking his head around. And it's just something that happens as his life is unfolding. Yeah, what else? Any other weird details or some things that stick out? David describes defeating lions and bears in a lot of detail. Uh, <laughs> somewhat graphic detail. He, yeah, David gives a lot of detail to, to slaying lions and bears. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good. What else, Alicia? Yeah, so she said numbers are mentioned, right? 40 days, Goliath's out there taunting, and then there's 10 loaves of bread, 10... You know, there's numbers mentioned, and that's something that that's really easy to gloss over. But you know, something we don't yeah. really realize is that numbers play a really important role mm -hmm. in the Bible. Yeah, Brian, something online. Yeah, online says David is sent with roasted grain and loaves. Why? Yeah, why is he sent with roasted grain and loaves? Okay, that's an interesting question. Yep. It could be bland, but it's a detail that's there, so we can mm -hmm. ask. Okay, well, is this there for a reason? Yep. That's good. Cool. Anything else? Yeah, Josh. Good. Yeah, David grabs five stones. Why? Why does he, if he's so sure? Yeah, did he need a backup plan? Yeah, interesting. Good question. Do you know the answer to that? I don't know. <laughs> I know. <Steve> might. <laughs> Goliath had four brothers. Goliath had four brothers. There we go. Awesome. Yeah, it's true, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if, if you didn't hear that online. Dan says that there, Goliath had four brothers, so he had five stones total, just in case they wanted to... to do some follow-up battle there. Cool. Good. So, hey, that's another point. I'll say this, too, just as a, as a quick quick plug, right? If you want to get deeper into your Bible, ask people that know more than you. There is always someone in this world that knows more than you, right? Mm -hmm. Steve, does someone know, know more than you? Know my word, yeah. Yeah, probably? Yeah. Maybe? Oh, please. His wife? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, there's one. There's a great one. Okay, so, so um, we talked about this beforehand, but this is one of my favorite ones, right? Did anybody notice why... David carries around Goliath's head. Does this seem weird? Yes. Like, this is a kid's story. Well, for us, we often tell it in a, in a kid's way, right, yeah. for Sunday school. But here's David, a man of God, supposedly just walking around with a giant's head over and over. Like, what is going on there? Have you ever flagged that as, okay, that might be a little weird. You know, I don't, I don't see people doing that today in America. Hopefully, hopefully not. Yeah. Yeah. And even in other, if you... You know, maybe it's, if you compare this to other literature, like you have Greek epics, and they have all these war scenes. In fact, this, this scene looks like it could come right out of the Iliad. I don't know if you're familiar with that. But, um, but there's nothing like that. No one's running around with people's heads. This, this is actually unique, as far as I know. If somebody knows of an example, I'd, I'd be open to it. But it's different. It's really weird. He takes the head to Saul, but he doesn't say anything about it. And then the other thing about it is he takes it to Jerusalem. Okay, what are you, okay, is this kind of a psychopath? Or like, <laughs> right? Why do, you, why do you carry around the head, head of a giant? Now that's begging for you, right? If, if you've never read it before and you're just looking at the details, you'd say, it seems like I probably should try to chase that down. And if there's a reason for it, that would be really interesting, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. There's no answer, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's no, great. There is. I think there is. Yeah, there is. Yeah. So you go 
back to Genesis, right? And, and the fall. And what does God say he's going to do to Satan's head? Crush it. And this all goes back to mm-hmm. Jesus, right? And you've got, I've got your head. And who does, it, who does this guy represent? Yeah, so if, you, if you're online, if you can't hear that, Dan's making a connection to the Old Testament when God says that Jesus ultimately will crush the head of Satan, right? That's an interesting yep. parallel, right? An interesting connection. And we will come back to that. Yeah. There's a lot more in there. Yep. Yeah. So really, our, our, again, our goal, obviously, we cannot cover this massive story in one Sunday. Our goal is to hopefully get wet your whistle a little bit and get your appetite going for diving into your own Bible, right? To get you to come to this and be like, okay, I want to find some of these answers because it's that kind of drive that brings you to deeper study, to deeper awareness, and God meets you in different ways, right? Yep. So real quick, um, thinking about this, I mean, we could do the head thing or another example from one of these other details, but how, how could discovering some of these details change or deepen the application to our lives, right? It's not, because we've talked about this, it's not just about adding to our head knowledge, right? So, so give us an example of how some of these details might change or affect our application. Well, I think, uh, I think if we go back and connect this with that passage that we just blazed over where Eliab's angry with David, you'll see that there's probably the most solid answer to the question of why he's carrying that head with him. It's tucked away in there, and we just zip past it. But I don't know if we can, can Let's we do get it. that passage yeah. back up? Yeah. Might not be the full passage. We need to go back. Yeah, we don't have it. Just, just describe it. Okay. Here's the thing. You guys can double check this, but David has been going back and forth for 40 days, and he has not bothered to worry about what the uh, Goliath has been saying. His only concern has been he's dealing with Saul and he's dealing with his dad. His older brothers have gone off, and they're all into the war thing, but he's try- his dad's old. He's old in years, so he's caring for his dad. He's caring for the dead sheep. And then in the previous chapter, Saul has already kind of gone, right? He's, gone, he's, he's, he's basically a, pretty much a broken man, and they call for David to, to play music so that he can kind of get psychologically back to normal. And so David knows all this, right? And he's caring for Saul. He's being brought in to, to deal with Saul's craziness. And he's going back and dealing with his father. And so he's, he, he's been watching this whole thing, and he has not in any way attempted to deal with Goliath. And then Goliath comes out, and it says that Goliath taunted, just he said what he's been saying for 40 days, and David hears it, and he hears it, it says, but he still doesn't do anything. And then someone, the crowd says, do you, he's coming out to taunt the armies, and do you know what the king will do for the person who slays this giant? The king will make him rich and will let him be married into his family. And David goes, what will the king do for the person who kills Goliath? And this is when Eliab gets angry with him. He says, you're a punk. You, <laughs> you're right? This is none of your concern. Now, here's the thing. If you, and then he goes, and then he goes, wasn't it just a question? 
right? Which is not, because David's a little bit interested in this, right? And then he says, right after, he goes back and he asks the same question again. What will happen to the man? And so, and they gave him the same answer. If you kill Goliath, you will be able to marry into the family of the king. And David's like, ding, 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 ding. Now, if you think that this is just that he's being ambitious, it's wrong. And I think this is where the application comes in. It's really, it's really good. If you read the chapter before this, David has been anointed king. He knows that God has chosen him to be king. And he spent a bunch of time with Saul. And he knows that Saul's a little crazy. Right? And so if you carry that, what kind? He knows all that. And he also knows that he was anointed in the presence of his brothers. And Samuel knows that if Saul knows that David was anointed, he would kill him. So here's an individual that knows that God has called him to be king. He's anointed, but he doesn't know how it's going to happen. And he's just busy doing the Father's will, caring for Saul, just being obedient. And all of a sudden, boom, he hears this, and he's like, oh, no, maybe, maybe this is the ticket. Maybe this is God's way of opening up this impossible situation where I can get married in the family. So, so he cuts off the head of Goliath after it's all done, and he takes it to Saul. Are you going, I did it. You gotta, you, right? But this is even better about David. He keeps his mouth shut. Because this is really delicate business. Because there's no guarantee that Saul's not gonna kill him. Right? He can't be, appear as being ambitious. He has a secret, right, that he's anointed king. His brothers know that he's anointed, so they could out him any time. There's a whole bunch of, like, <laughs> tension in this story, much more than you think. But it shows you that David is not just trusting God to kill a giant. He's, he, he's trusting God to open the doors, even though he knows that kingship is in front of him. He's willing to just trust in God. And when God opens the door, he walks through it. Now, it's a little more complicated, right? Because uh, Saul basically says, all right, well, hang out with me. But Saul doesn't deliver until he decides he wants to use that promise to kill David, right? I'll let you marry into the household, uh, but you need to go kill 100 Philistines, right? So it gets more complicated. But you can see that David is this kind of a wise, godly individual who's not going to, he knows God's will. He's not going to force it, though. And when God opens the door, he'll walk through it. So good. Yeah, so the head yeah. is essentially proof. Yep. He walks around with yep. it everywhere because he's holding on to, hey, there's a promise for the person who slays, slayed Goliath, yeah. and I'm going to hold on to this until I get it. Yep. Right? Yep. Interesting, right? What yep. I love about that is, is these details bring out this more, you know, you, it's not just a quick, short blip of a story. This is a long story, and I think for us, you know, something that, that comes to my mind about my own life is if God has called me to something, yep. Sometimes, we live in a microwave culture, right? Sometimes I expect it to happen quickly. And if it doesn't happen quickly or easily, is it, how easy is it just to give up or just to, to say, oh, you know, maybe God didn't call me to that. Maybe God wasn't in that. But in reality, there's a process, and it's hard, and God wants us to, to trust him throughout the process and look for the doors he's going, going to give, right? Yeah. So I think that's interesting for, for us in this room. Right? If God has put something on your heart, but it doesn't come to fruition right away mm -hmm. or within the first year, 
or the first couple years, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that God wasn't in it in the first place. Maybe it just means, hey, are you looking for the right opportunities? Are you being prudent? Are you taking the right steps? When an opportunity comes, do you take a hold of it with faith, knowing that this is something that God could be putting in your path to lead you to your ultimate calling? Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. Yep. Good stuff. So I know uh, we don't want to go forever. We, I know we could, but let's get to this third point. So this third point is once you've done all this work, you also try to make connections to the rest of the Bible. Specifically, how does this connect with Christ? So um, I think for the sake of time, we'll, we'll skip that last roundtable. But just give us a glimpse of, you know, how do we see Jesus in this Old Testament story about David and Goliath? Yeah. And there's a danger that you, that you could read in too much in the passages. But if, there, if the passage has a number of parallels there, um, it's just begging you to make those connections. And of course, we know that Jesus is a type of Christ. But you can just see this, right? It doesn't, well, how do we do this? Real quick, real quick. So the idea of the Nephilim and Goliath, there's a couple things that are really interesting there that easier to get in the, in the, in the original language. But the, the reason why uh, Goliath is described in terms of like the, giants and Genesis 6 and Nephilim. It also goes back to Genesis 3, uh, but he's described, he has a unique description of his armor, and the armor is described as scale armor. It's the only place in the Old Testament that scales are used in anything other than like monsters and sea creatures and dragons and things like that. It's, and even Saul's description of his, his armor in that passage is not. It's not. It's very specific. It's, it's scale armor. And the other thing about it is, you'd have to just check this out, but there's a lot of wordplay in these stories. And bronze is, there's a wordplay with bronze and serpent. And this guy is covered head to toe in bronze. It's, and that's Nehosheth and the same root as Nehosh, right? So Hebrew loves this. So here is the guy clad in scales and like snake man, <laughs> who's a giant that's proof that, that our, our, na our human race has been invaded by these spiritual forces. And here is David who sends a stone which crushes the head, right? And then sends the head off to Jerusalem. Jerusalem at this point is, uh, is, by, is, is uh, occupied by the Jebusites. It's not Israelite yet. And this is David's way of saying, Heads up, right? I'm coming for you, right? That was really bad. I had to that do was it. Great. Heads I up. had to do it. Heads I had up, to do it, everybody. Right? So, so <laughs> it's like I'm, I am coming for you, and it's so interesting that the place he's. This is where the real battle's happening in the future, right? That's when the head of the serpent's going to be crushed. And of course, then you add a couple other things. Here's the good shepherd, who's been anointed king, who has yet to get his kingship who is doing his father's will, right? You just get line after line of these parallels, and it's pointing toward Christ. So good, yeah. Yep. And, and I mean, that's what Jesus says himself in, in the New Testament. He says, all scripture points to me. <laughs> all of it, right? And even if it seems obscure, you know, all of scripture collectively points to Jesus, and that's our whole goal, right? When we approach the Bible, we're approaching it so that we can encounter Jesus there. Yep. So to know that even when you get into the Old Testament, like the, the Old Testament is still flush with value when it comes to getting yeah. to know Jesus himself. So we want you to know that this is accessible to you, right? Steve has done a ton of study. He's a really smart guy. He's a professor. He's gone into a lot of this stuff. And so sometimes 
it may feel inaccessible when he just gives these, this background detail, but we want you to know that this is available for you as well. There are plenty of tools out there that you can use, and so we want to just give you a couple, but you can also go to our website. We've, we've put a page together, rockcreekchurch.org slash resources, and uh, there's a lot of stuff, and we're going to continue to update this and put stuff there, but you can go to this page and see a list of our favorite resources for getting deeper into your own personal Bible study, right? There's a phenomenal tool, Blue Letter Bible is a free website, yes, and you great. can do some of the deeper word studies. Um, yes. You can, um, journaling is something that you've talked about, is not mm -hmm. necessarily journaling as we think of journaling, but studying your Bible with a notepad and pen yep. as something to help you to get your thoughts out and make connections on your own. Mm -hmm. um, that's a great way to do it. I, I know Tanner has told me a lot about this, something called the, the, the Kairos Journal. The Kairos Daily Journal, that's on the website as well. That's a phenomenal way to, to, it's a guided journal that helps you to piece out your thoughts and put things together so you can come to your own applications in your own life and to memorize scripture. There's so many resource, resources out there. But um, I just want to ask you, like, one final thought. Like, what, what are some of your favorite tools that you would want to encourage people to use? I, I love the Blue Letter, um, the Blue Letter uh, site, because... It takes all the time out of, like, everything's hyperlinked, so it, you look up the passage, and like for the David passage, it was so easy. You go, okay, this is the main point, I like that, and then all this weird stuff, like, what's the scale armor, right? And you just click on it, and it's like every passage in the Old Testament that has the word scale in it. And you're like, this is unique to this passage, and it's not talked about in terms of armor anywhere else, and then, it's, you know, it's talking about these monsters like crocodiles and all, and you're like, Interesting, right? And then it'll say the Hebrew word for you, right? Which if you kind of just want to nerd out a little bit and learn a little bit how to pronounce Hebrew, that's fun. Yeah. Um, so I, I love the blue letter. Oh, and the other is this. this, this you, I think you're already familiar with it from before, but the Bible Project, guys, that's phenomenal. And if you just go to the series that they talk about what the Bible is and Jewish meditative literature, this kind of stuff that I was hinting at here, it's all there, and it's so easy on the ears. It's like five-minute, ten-minute videos. It's great stuff, great stuff. They make it look way too easy, what they're doing. It's, pheno it's phenomenal. Yeah, yep. good, good stuff. Well, uh, yeah, so there's links to a lot of this stuff, and we're going continue to continue to add to it. But we just want to encourage you, if you're, if you're at a point where you feel like you're at a plateau or you haven't been in your Bible recently or you just don't know what to go to next, pick David and Goliath. Just yeah. do it. Start with 1 Samuel 16, read through these several passages, write out your questions, notice details, and bring it to God in prayer and study and see what he will teach you. Um, so thank you so much, Steve. This has been awesome. Yeah, thank you. Has Hopefully do this again. Yes, yeah, uh, so. yeah, Let's give him a round of applause. Oh. Awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, let's stand and pray, and then we'll get into some more time of worship. Um, but I want to encourage you all to know that that God really does want to speak to you. He really wants to develop a deeper relationship with you. He really wants you to search and to, to mine for this information, not just for your head, but for your heart. So, um, yeah, so let's pray and we'll get back into this time of worship. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you've made it so rich and deep and that there's so much there for us to unearth and to cover, to search for you diligently and to see how you would want to change our lives through the dedication to your word. So we thank you, Jesus. We, we ask that you would use all of this to draw our affections toward you. Would you warm our hearts toward you? And in everything, God, we just long to glorify you and see your will be done. So we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's sing. <laughs>